I have the joy tonight to be serving alongside Dr. Clay Smith, our senior pastor, as well as our sanctuary choir and orchestra led by our director of music ministry, Peggy Betcher. And my name is Brett Eubank, and I'm one of the associate pastors here at Rivermont EPC. Well, if you would like to learn more about our church family or you're curious about membership, let me invite you to attend our next Getting to Know Rivermont class, which will start on January the 10th. That's a Sunday morning at 9.35 a.m. And if you're here this evening and you're wondering about the life and claims of Jesus and why it even matters, then I'd encourage you to attend our next Christianity Explored class that also begins on January the 10th at 9.35 a.m. as well. You can get more information about these classes by contacting our church office. And then for our members, if you are planning on giving a year-end gift, you may do so tonight or this Sunday the 27th. Or you may mail that in um, by December 31st, making sure that it's been postmarked December 31st to be counted towards our 2015 uh, year. We don't have our, our uh, drop-off box anymore because it's been dropped off uh, because of construction. So uh, if you'll put that in the mail before the 31st, we'd greatly appreciate it. And now let me invite the congregation to please stand as we read responsibly our call to worship from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As God's people, we worship joyfully and triumphantly because the long-awaited Messiah has come. Therefore, let us rejoice in him as we sing number 208. O come, all ye faithful.
You may be seated. Tonight we light the Christ candle because Jesus, the light of the world, is born. As this candle burns, we remember that Jesus brings us hope, peace, joy, and love now and forever. We remember that Jesus is coming again and will bring us fully into his kingdom to enjoy all these good things forever. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. Through this child... This son, we have complete victory. Let us go to that victorious Lord in prayer. Everlasting Father, we praise you for your infinite wisdom, your unmatched power, and your inexhaustible love which conceived and carried out your eternal plan to save a people unto yourself. You opened not a barren womb, but a virgin womb to bring forth your eternal Son, untainted by the fall, yet affected in every way by it. Jesus lived a righteous life in thought, word, and deed. He did this that He might lay down His perfect life for our imperfect one, His whole life for our broken one. The one who was born in a box of wood would die on beams of wood to be the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. How this is such good news to our hearts as we long for the day when everything that comes from our lips, our hands, and our hearts are untainted by sin and death. Until that day, we continue to confess unclean lips that speak self-serving and self-protecting words at the expense of others. We confess unmoved hearts that withhold grace and forgiveness to those who have wronged us. We confess folded hands that keep our time, talent, and treasure hidden from others who need it. Forgive us, Father, for these sins and so many others that we cannot see or will not see. Holy Spirit, keep our hearts soft and sensitive to your conviction as you transform us more and more into the image of your Son. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Dear friends, hear the good news of the gospel as told by the angel Gabriel to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which is for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord why is this good news because our savior was born so that man no more may die and if you have confessed and are repenting over your sin then hear the lord jesus's promise that your sins are forgiven and your hearts are cleansed Having been reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus, let us stand and sing number 203, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
You may be seated. Let me add my welcome to you. We're so thankful that you're here with us to worship at Rivermont tonight on this Christmas Eve. My name is Clay Smith. I'm the senior pastor here, and as Brett said a moment ago, we would love to have you come back and worship with us on a Sunday. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It's the familiar Christmas story, and yet I pray that the Lord would give us ears and eyes and a heart to hear it afresh this evening. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit this evening that we would have eyes to see and hearts to receive what Jesus has done for us. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Some of you may have already graduated from, but others still remain in the why stage of life. You know that stage where our children seem to ask incessantly why questions. Whether they're your own children in your own family or nieces and nephews or children of friends, we all know that stage. Why? Why is the sky blue? Why do grown-ups cry while they're happy? Why do neighbor kids have so many more toys than we have? Or as one little boy recently asked, noting all the Christmas wreaths on the door, he said, why is everyone putting tires on the doors? Why is an important question. We're here tonight and most of us probably know the what of the Christmas story. We know that Jesus was born, that he was the son of God born to Mary and Joseph, and we celebrate that birth at Christmas, but perhaps we all aren't equally clear on the why. Why did he come? Why did Joseph want to divorce Mary and their life be so disrupted even before they were married? Why did the angel in verse 21 insist that this baby be called Jesus? There are lots of why questions we could ask, but let's take just two tonight. Why the disruption of a life? Why would God do what he did with Mary and Joseph? Certainly we could see that God disrupted this young couple's life in a world and being betrothed in their world in verse 18, we could say is a bit like being engaged with with more teeth. Being betrothed in those days was a legal contract. It's different from engagement in our world in that it was a legal promise. It was a a covenant, really. It was a, a pledge that a man and woman would be joined together in marriage. And as they were betrothed and covenanted together, purity demanded that the couple not engage sexually until their marriage took place. 
But furthermore, sexual activity outside that relationship was viewed as adultery. And it was punishable in very harsh terms and it brought shame upon families. Here we have in this story a teenage love. Mary was a young girl, probably 13 or 14 years of age at this time, and she turned up pregnant. They lived in Nazareth, and it was a small town. We do too. We know what happens in a small town when a teenage girl turns up pregnant. All the gossip that starts the talk of the town, they would wonder either Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph or together they have been unfaithful to God. You know how people would talk in a small town. So Joseph considered a path to handle that shame. He, verse 19, could quietly divorce her. He could put her away and return to the nice, predictable, comfortable, and tidy life that he had made for himself. It was the merciful thing to do, after all. Not to shame her publicly, but just quietly divorce her so everyone could get back to normal, tidy life. You know, the only thing that keeps this story from becoming the sordid tale of a small town is found in verse 18. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The child was from the Holy Spirit. Mary hadn't been unfaithful. Mary and Joseph hadn't together been unfaithful to God. But how would anyone believe them? Seems like crazy talk, right? Here, Joseph would tell his friends, my fiancé is pregnant with the Son of God. Right? Okay, buddy. Yeah, that's, that's probably crazy. We might need to get you checked out talking like that. Right? And furthermore, how even could Joseph be expected to believe Mary? Divorce seemed like the tidy path. It seemed like the easy path. It would untangle his life from all of the suspicions, the questions, the glares of the respectable people in their community. And while Joseph was thinking all of these things over and counting the cost of continuing to be with Mary, verse 20 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel confirmed what Mary had said. The angel said, verse 20, do not be afraid to marry her. She was indeed pregnant, although a virgin. And furthermore, to deal with our doubts, even as Joseph had doubts, we are reminded that God had made the promise 700 years before through Isaiah the prophet. In verse 23, we see, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That promise was written 700 years before the fact. It strains credulity, though, does it not? A virgin conceiving? And yet the only reason to deny that it is possible is to believe beforehand that miracles can't happen. But if there is a God, could He not intervene supernaturally? If there is a God who can make a promise 700 years beforehand and then bring it about, is anything impossible with Him? If there is a God who can create galaxies, could He not cause a virgin to conceive? Yes, God promised 700 years before, and he brought it about on this night in the lives of Mary and Joseph. Their lives were disrupted. It was grace that intruded into their lives. Why? Why the disruption of a life? Why would God disrupt our lives? Because that's always how God's salvation come to us. 
His grace and His forgiveness has to disrupt the comfort that we make for ourselves. He has to disrupt the tidy life that we make for ourselves by exposing our eyes and our hearts to a problem that we have that we have no ability to solve. And that is to deal with our own sin. The Lord disrupts our lives to make us stop in our tracks and listen. Indeed, disruption is the nature of grace. It disrupts our tidy lives. It, it grace upends our expectations of how things should go. This grace in Mary and Joseph's life, through it we see God come for us. God save us. God intervene that we might be saved. God disrupted this life with His incredible grace, just like He does in ours too. And Joseph was left to do the only thing that he could do, and that was to trust in the Word of the Lord. But it required a deep humility to trust God, to trust God with the glares of the community, to trust God with the promises that the angel had spoken to him. It cost Joseph comfort. It cost him predictability. It cost him the tidiness of his life. The same is true for you and for me this Christmas Eve. It is in disruption. It is in the unexpected things, the unexpected challenges that crop up in our lives, through those things we are placed in a position to be able to hear God's grace. It is in disruption that our our hands can be opened up to receive what God has done for us, what God has given to us. Why disrupt a life? Because through disruption, God's grace intrudes into our lives. The second question we see here is why the name? Why that particular name? The angel announced it in verse 21 that this baby shall be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then down in verse 25, Joseph obeyed and called this child Jesus. Why? What's in a name? You may know that in the Old Testament, names communicate something of the character of the person. One commentator noted that to know someone's name gave a clue as to who they are and what they do, what they care about, what makes them who they are. For example, in the Old Testament, Jonah. His name means dove, silly, senseless animal. Certainly that characterized Jonah's life, right? He was the guy who tried to get in a boat and run away from God as if he could sail away from God's presence. And then he found himself swallowed up by a great fish. Jonah certainly is a man who was silly, and senseless in his life. Or how about Isaac's twins? Jacob and Esau. Jacob means heel snatcher. Gives us a clue to who he is. He's a deceiver who steals his birthright. But it's not only that way in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Think about English names. Our names give us clues as to who we are and where we come from. Some English names speak of the place we come from. Think of the last names of lake or brook or hill. Some other names tell of an occupation, tailor, smith, miller, carpenter. Names give us clues as to who we are and what we are. And we see in this text that the angel told Mary and Joseph to name this child Jesus, which means God saves. And it gives us a clue as to who he is and what he has come to do. At this time when Jesus was born... Jesus was the sixth most popular name for little boys in Palestine. 
It was such a common name because it revealed a hope that somehow God would do something to save His people from the harsh treatment that they received from these Roman armies, from the pagans. The name Jesus was so common because it was a little bit of a political name. It brings God save us from the freedom and freedom from this oppression. God do something about it. But when the angel commanded that night that this child be named Jesus, it wasn't simply out of the hope of being saved from the boot of Rome. But instead, this announcement came with a promise. It came with a certainty in verse 21. He shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name of this little child gives us a clue as to who he is and what he will do. Again, we're here tonight to explore the why. Why would this child need to be called God saves? In order to answer that question, you're going to have to hang with me for just a minute as we go back to Genesis to gather a little bit of theology. Back in the Garden of Eden, God had made a perfect creation and He had given Adam and Eve free reign over all that He had made except one thing. They were told not to eat of the tree of knowing good and evil. There really wasn't anything magical about that tree. The issue was their trust in God's Word, their trust in God's command. Because you see, this tree was for knowing good and evil in the sense of determining good and evil. What was good and what was evil is what God labeled it as such. What God prohibited among Adam and Eve was mistrust in His Word. Mistrust that He knew what is right and He knew what was wrong. That He had the prerogative of determining good and evil. And so when Adam and Eve decided themselves to eat of that tree, they determined for themselves what was good and what was evil. They decided in their own eyes what was right and what was wrong. Adam and Eve weighed God's word. They weighed his command. They weighed his good instruction. And they decided to do what they wanted to do instead. And it was in that rejection of God's word, rejection of God's truth, rejection of God's instruction, that sin entered the world. God had told them in Genesis 2.17 that if you eat of this tree, then surely you will die. Sin is serious. Rejection of God's truth is serious and this is the first principle as we understand why the name of Jesus. The first principle is this. Payment for sin demands a life. The consequence of sin is death and Adam and Eve experienced it. They both experienced physical death but also in the breaking of their relationship with God. A kind of spiritual death and alienation from Him. Payment for sin demands a life. And you see, you and I have that same nature, just like Adam and Eve, wanting to determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We even make up songs about it. Remember the old Sinatra song, I Did It My Way? It's true of all of our hearts. We have the same broken and rebellious natures within, and we also fall prey to these consequences of sin, physical death, And spiritual death, estrangement from God, separation from Him. Sin demands a payment of a life. The second point we have to lay hold of to understand why this child is named Jesus is this. If sin demands death, then in order to forgive, blood must be shed. Forgiveness comes when bleeding happens. 
We see it all over the Old Testament in the sacrificial system. We see it in the Day of Atonement. The life of a lamb was taken. The blood was shed so that the people could be forgiven of their sins. The priest would place his hands on the head of a lamb, symbolizing the transfer of the people's guilt to that little lamb. And then the lamb would be sacrificed. The lamb gave his life for the sins of the people. It was a substitute for someone else. But it was merely a symbol that had to be repeated year after year after year, and yet the principle remained. Since the consequence of sin is death, the shedding of blood always comes along with forgiveness. Are we now beginning to see a little bit about what is in a name? That this baby, this Son of God, taking on flesh, born to Mary, named Jesus, named God saves, He shall save His people from their sin. How? Not by simply the humiliation of being born in the dirt and placed in a rock-hewn manger, a feeding trough for animals. He wouldn't save His people simply by stepping out of the glories of heaven into a broken world. He wouldn't save us by coming to live among us as Emmanuel. But God saves us because Jesus was born to die. Even as the angel announced His birth, We hear it in a promise. He shall be named Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. We know that sin demands death, and forgiveness is associated with the shedding of blood. And it was His blood that was shed, that brings our forgiveness, that removes our sin. You see, the Son of God was born to die in our place, to be the true Lamb of God, the sacrifice to take away our sin, that we might live. Even from the angel's announcement, the shadow of the cross fell upon the manger. If we are to be forgiven, if we are to live eternally, if we are to be saved from our sins, then it would cost Jesus His life. He took our place on the cross to die our death and remove our guilt. You see... Jesus saves us through trust in what He has done on our behalf. And He saves us completely. No matter what you've done, no matter how high is the pile of guilt that you have amassed before the Lord, Jesus' blood can wash you clean. Because sin calls for death. And forgiveness is offered to you and to me through blood. And it's Jesus' own blood. That brings us forgiveness. Perhaps this year, the Lord will disrupt your life just enough to see and to hear and to experience afresh that beautiful story of His intrusion of grace, that undeserved favor into my life and to yours. And it's a grace that cost Him His life. Joy, friends. Joy to the world tonight. Because Jesus saves Sinners like us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that tonight, as we celebrate your birth, may we remember why. May we remember the why of your birth, that you were born that men no more may die. You were born to save us from our sins, and it cost you your own life. So, Father, we ask that you would make us a thankful people tonight. Do you make us a people that rather than 
running and hiding our sin, may we freely confess it to you that it might be wiped clean. We pray for each person here in the sanctuary this evening. May they know that while their sin demands a death and that forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood, may they know that it is through your blood that we are cleansed. Enable us to have hearts filled with joy. Joy to the world. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we affirm our faith using the Nicene Creed printed in your bulletin. This is a creed that has been said by God's people since the 4th century. It's united us across the generations and around the world. So I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism, for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. may be seated. We give our best gifts to the Lord, knowing that He has given us everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us continue to worship as we give to the Lord His tithes and our offerings. Jesus, our Savior. 
like you and like I. I wonder as I wonder out under the sky. Jesus was like every other baby that had ever been born, and yet like no other baby that had ever been born. Jesus was born to die so that in His dying we might live. Let us prepare our hearts for communion as we stand and sing number 213, What Child Is This?
as we come to the Lord's table tonight to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, let me remind you that we come not like we would to a dinner party where we bring something of value to enhance the meal, but rather we bring nothing of value except our need for this supper. We come hungry for the bread of life. We come thirsty for the living water. We come in hopeful search that the promise of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, they shall be satisfied. For we remember Jesus' words, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God satisfies the deepest longings of your heart with Himself? Let us pray. Let us look to the Lord that He might give us His presence, that He might nourish and fill us and satisfy us. Let us pray. Gracious Father, You know us with a knowledge that reveals our hearts and exposes our appetites. Isaiah is right to ask, Why do You spend Your money for that which is not bread and Your labor for that which does not satisfy? We starve ourselves by feasting on anything but you. We are like children at the grocery checkout begging for candy when a feast awaits us at home. Forgive us for not trusting and delighting in you. Fill our undernourished souls with the very bread of life that we may find our satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Dearly beloved, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a means of God's grace by which He reveals to us His everlasting love and commitment to redeem His people from the curse of their sin through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as the Scriptures tell us, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children of God. For that is who we are. As such, this supper is for believers who know their neediness and have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, who mourn over and are repenting over their sin, who by God's grace are living in obedience to God's word. If that describes you this evening, then you are invited and encouraged to partake of this supper. But if that's not where you are, that's not where your heart is, then your invitation is not to this supper. Rather, your invitation is to Jesus Himself. Look with eyes of faith to the One who is behind this supper. Ask God for faith to believe in the finished work of Christ Jesus for you. Let us pray. O most gracious God, our Father, we do thank and praise You for the promises fulfilled to us in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That which You promised to our first parents in the garden when they sinned and now to us has come to be in Him. Through His holy conception, lowly birth, sinless life, atoning death, humble burial, and victorious resurrection, He has fulfilled your purposes and now reigns at your right hand where He lives to intercede for us when we know our need and even when we don't. 
As our one and only mediator, we do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. Therefore, we pray that you will bless and sanctify with the Holy Spirit as much as is needful of this bread and this cup, setting them apart from a common to a sacred use, that we may by faith spiritually feed upon Christ, that he may be one with us and we with him. As we share in this spiritual communion with you, we do especially pray your blessings upon all who are sick or grieving, hungry or alone. May the blessing of your presence comfort and console them and others who are afflicted. And as we receive this covenant meal, we also covenant with you by your grace alone, presenting ourselves, our souls and bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. Look in mercy upon us and receive our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in fellowship with all the faithful in heaven and on earth. We pray that you will fulfill in us the purpose of your redeeming love through Christ Jesus our Lord, who has taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As the elements are served to you, we ask that you hold them until all have been served. And then we'll partake together first the bread and then the cup. And before the bread is distributed, we will sing the first verse of A Little Town of Bethlehem as printed in your bulletin. The Gospel according to John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The body of Jesus Christ was broken so that you and I might be made whole. Take and eat.
blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Take and drink. Will the congregation please stand as we pray a Christmas prayer of thanksgiving and dedication as printed in your bulletin. Most merciful God, for whose chosen handmaid and her holy babe there was no room at the inn in Bethlehem, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your Son and for the promise of the gospel signified by the sacrament of this Holy Supper. Help us all by your Holy Spirit truly to make room for the Lord Jesus in our lives, that his peace and joy may fill our hearts and his love flow through us to the blessing of others. O God, you have made this most holy night to shine with the brightness of the true light. Grant, we pray, that as we have known the light on earth, we may come to the fullness of its joy in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Jesus comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Let's sing a hymn of response, number 195, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. 